Oh, I'd like to ask Tim Hooper to come back up here. On Children's Church, yes, I should have, you were standing right back there. So all those come out for Children's Church, go back downstairs. And come on up, Tim. You got me turned up. Well, there we go. Loud and clear. On my way here today, I was listening to a few songs. One, one by David Crowder. Come as you are. Come as you are hurting, broken, need of healing. Whatever your need are, is, I should say. God is here. The Lord Jesus is here to minister to you, to heal, heal you if you need healing. So many things happen. And then I was listening to a, another song. By uh, I, I always ask the guys in the back, can you play this on YouTube for me? This, no, we can't do any YouTube songs here. So there's a song by Cain called The Commission, which I, I guess I'll have to get the words, but it just so ministers to me that it, it says, look at my hands, look at my feet. And he wants us to just look at his hands and his feet to see what he has done for us. And uh, just a powerful song. And then uh, a nice uh, secular song that uh, I really like is by Alan Jackson. And uh, the name is slipping me, but uh, Remember When? I think a lot of people probably nodding their head. But, uh, you know, it says the old ones die and there's new ones born. And I think the last time I was here, my dad was still living. My dad passed. But what a testimony dad was for, uh, I think, all of us kids and the peace that he left when he passed. It was just a joy. So, and uh, it was short, and uh, he goes, uh, he was dad's kind of, and many of you know my dad, and uh, probably saw him around Ellsworth a few times, and uh, he, uh, when the hospice nurses came in, he asked him the question, now, do you have a prognosis of how long this is going to take for me to die? I don't know how many people ask the nurses how long it's going to take. He, he was ready to go. And how that speaks to my heart is that he was totally at peace to meet the Lord. Amen? Yeah, he had a lot of few one-liners. I, I know he used to drive his... Uh, Model A, and it, he didn't have to be in that when it goes slow. But he, when he'd go to River Falls, or he'd be coming back from Prescott or something with his truck. Sorry to reminisce just a little bit, but he got the police called on him one time, and he got into Ellsworth, and the police pulled him over. And uh, you know, why is he going so slow? Is this guy under the influence? So there's cars behind him, which is usually a string. They're calling ahead to find out why is all this taking place. And I always told Dad, I said, why don't you pull over? And I said, it's good for him to go slow. (laughs) So this morning, we're going to talk about atrophy a little bit. But uh, I'm going to, I think I'm going to read, 
I know we got the reading of the Word here, and sometimes somebody else reads it, but we're going to read the Word this morning, and uh, if you'd like to follow along, you can get your Bible. If there's one there, or one you've got a handheld or a phone or whatever, we're just going to read all these scriptures, and then we'll look into the text here. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15. Simon, Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in, the, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend to always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me, and I will make every effort so that my departure may be able at any time recall these things. In 1 Corinthians, I remember uh, one of the things I remember about 1 and 2 Corinthians is 1 and 2 Corinthians was addressed to this church because it was really known as the problem church of Asia. They had many, many issues, uh, whether it was love, speaking in tongues, gifts, and here they're talking about their they're be able to reason with some problems in the church between Paul and Barnabas. But listen to the text. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but in himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and only behaving in a human way? And I have one more that goes with this uh, message that I'm going to bring to you, and, and it's out of Revelation. I thought maybe it would be too, too much scripture to read, but in Revelation 2, the letter to the church of Ephesus. Now, they wrote, there was five, five churches addressed, but we're going to look at just this one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May God bless the reading of his word. And let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we're just so grateful that uh, these apostles wrote down the many, many thoughts and the words that uh, they were instructed to by you. Words for then and words for now. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, as I share that the, the, the words that I have would be your words and that you would speak to each one of us, myself included. Just because the preacher or the minister or the layman, whoever it is that shares the word, doesn't make us exempt. So we just thank you, Lord God, for your mercy, your grace, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Atrophy. Ah. I know uh, when I was uh, preparing this, my wife said, what are you going to speak about? And I said, atrophy. Oh, she said, that sounds like a good, good title. It, it didn't say... I think most of us here know what atrophy is in regards to the physical body. It is a partial or complete wasting away of part of the body. Causes of atrophy include poor nourishment, poor circulation, loss of hormonal support, loss of the nerve supply, the disuse or lack of exercise. Atrophy is the reduction of in cells, size of the cells, organs, tissue, body, mind, or the brain are affected. The risk factors in atrophy are aging. We are just getting old, so we begin to 
atrophy. I think a few of us are probably getting there. Not so nice a picture physically, mentally, and in our brain activity. There are many reasons for atrophy to happen again. Aging is one. The lack of physical exercise is for sure one that affects the body. And the lack of using our heads or brain activity. Atrophy is what sets in when we fail to use various muscles in our body. The old line is, use it or lose it. Many of us know personally had a cast or injury where we could not use a certain set of muscles and the muscles shrink and we need to have therapy to rebuild that area to get the strength back. Same goes for the mind or the brain activity. You have a brain injury, you need therapy again to regain strength in thinking activity or to get the arm or hand to work again. I think you get the picture. How does physical atrophy compare to the spiritual? And that's what we want to kind of look at. How does that compare to what we experience physically? Or should we say that there is a comparison? Physical atrophy, spiritual atrophy. This morning we're going to look at a few scripture verses that seem to be encouraging us to exercise so as not to atrophy. The writer does not use this word, but it seems that he knows what will be the outcome if one does not exercise his belief. And in the, in a, in here it is, in the, this case, it's the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal faith. We need to exercise it. We need to be in this. It gives you life. It gives you hope. Keeps you from deteriorating, so to speak. This morning, we're going to look at a few scriptures that seem to be encouraging us to exercise. Okay, But before we get into the scripture, I'd like to share a few thoughts on why did this come to mind. And I grew up in Pierce County, and as I look around at the farm world, and many of you that live here, knew what it used to look like across the road. There was contour strips, many farms, smaller farms like Tim has, and now they're large, all the contours are gone, all these big fields. Just an observation. The church landscape has changed also. One thing I personally notice is the number of churches that have closed just in Pierce County. And if you start to just think a little bit, it don't take too long, that you realize that dozens of church buildings and churches have been removed from the landscape of our county. Another thing is that people's need for God has changed, or spiritual need has changed. Church attendance, or maybe another way to look at it is that the worldview people have and the self-care, no need for God, I can do it myself attitude. This kind of permeates our, our culture. Humanism taking control of the way we think. It tells us in Scripture that we need to protect the mind. It can be deceived. Or we say we are falling into spiritual atrophy, is what I like to say, especially for the Christian. Because we're called to be in the Word, to to seek God for guidance and direction. In 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15, the writer addresses believers. 
almost prayer-like that they would be full of knowledge and grace in just verses 1 and 2. And then he's in verse 3 through 7, in these verses, he gives great detail of what we have in Christ. Now, these are, this is a piece of scripture that I have read, I would say, a hundred times, easily. And always reach out to know and to grasp what this has for me. And I would hope you would do the same. His divine power has granted to us all, not just a select few, things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He gives great detail of what we have in Christ, the power we have. It talks about having a handle on life, so to speak. You could hear the text. The divine power that pertains to life and godliness. Wants to touch our meaning. Life meaning what? In your mind and heart, how to live in peace, how to be aware of those around you or circumstances around you, how to care, how to live a life of joy, how to experience God's peace, and godliness, how to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. How do we, in our decision-making, just in our whole process, This is a powerful statement and we should take this to heart that the Lord wants to give us the power. It's like receiving grace for the challenge, grace for the trip, the road we're on. I don't want to be a skeptic, but as I look around the church community, or should I say Christians, I would say that we have not grasped this promise very well by the troubles we endure, the issues we have in life, and the worldview that we have. Now, I'm right there with you. I don't think I've made the grade by any means. But what Peter is telling us is that we can grab a hold of this. We can grasp this. And the Spirit of God will quicken us to do so. As the writer goes through the text, he puts forth, if you will, a recipe for success with his words. Listen to 4 through 7 again. Where do we Christians find answers to this calling? Or how do we obtain victory to the concept of life and godliness? In the Word, the whole of the Word puts forth the will, the power, and the means to live this life in a victorious manner. And verse 8 now asserts the fact that if we fall into atrophy, it will somehow cause us not to be able to partake of this life of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Listen to verse 8. It says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we could probably read that again, but it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with the godliness, godliness with brotherly affection. I mean, he just rolls these off knowing that these are things that we need to have in our life. And then verse 9 says, for whoever lacks these qualities, he is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. Well, atrophy is set into that individual's life, and so to speak. We probably got lax on reading the Word or, or worshiping or fellowshipping with believers. You know, if every 
individual that was a member or acquaintance with this church and knew, knew how important and how we need one another, these pews would be full. We don't really know, I don't think, how important it is that we need one another, love one another, share with one another. You know when church is over and you folks go out to them tables and there's all that hum and chatter? I hope you're thinking about Millie and walking up to her and putting your hand on her and saying we're with you through your struggle. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Powerful words for you and me. But what is it saying to us about not practicing or exercising our faith? The text doesn't use the word atrophy, but it implies that if you don't exercise your spiritual gifts, your spiritual life, be in the word, be in fellowship, be in worship, you could fall. You could slip. I wrote a little note over here. If you ever miss prayer in your life, all of a sudden it is easy not to pray again. I've been there. Take a few days off over on vacation. I'm going to take a few days off from prayer, and pretty soon it's easy not to pray. What sets in then? That spiritual need starts to kind of diminish. We can fall into temptation, fall into sin. We could lose our sense of spiritual need, your sense of needing each other. We really need each other, people. Dan shared with me how COVID has affected uh, uh, attendance. Rightly so, because once you're home and you're in your pajamas and you don't have to get up and get dressed and take a shower and go to church, it's pretty easy. Amen? Pretty easy. I know we didn't, probably didn't go to church for maybe a month. And I told Sue, I said, I got to get back to church. I don't, I don't like this feeling of not needing the body of Christ. So my encouragement to you as uh, brothers and sisters of the people that aren't here, that you call them. Tell them we miss them. Encourage them to come back. Okay? Just give it a try. Acts 1.8 will give you the power. The Spirit of God will give you the power to do that. Nobody's going to burn your house down. Nobody's going to kill your parents or your kids in America for calling your neighbor, your friend, your church member to invite them back to church. But if you're in Africa, they probably will. We need to focus on the word, the promises, and the Lord's presence in our life. Another scripture we'll go to here is uh, in Corinthians. Paul addresses the divisions in the church, but it looks like they, the divisions, were the result of their infant attitude and their level of maturity. Again, there was Paul addressing these Christians as natural persons. He says a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
You know, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes when you, uh, if you have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, they just, so many times it seems like it just goes over their head. They, it doesn't go into their heart. They, just, they don't catch it. They don't understand. And it takes a lot of time and prayer and, and love for individuals that they finally might grasp, behold. Because we have an, ad, have an adversary, and that's Satan, and a lot of demons out there preventing people from hearing. Their ears are stuffed. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but people of flesh, infants in Christ. What a picture. What we have here is Paul trying to address these problems, the divisions in the church, and he calls them infants, infants in Christ, infants in their faith, in their thinking. The problem wasn't that the nourishment wasn't available. The problem was that they were still in the flesh and not growing in Christ so as to be wise to be discerning, and in this case, to get caught up in the church problem of the day, but to resolve it in a spiritual manner. I know anybody that's been on church council has experienced this. We may not want to confess it to our, everybody, but we've experienced this. We've experienced infancy and, and uh, not right thinking in our church council, and I've been on the church council here many years in history, and but, you know, it's not that we condemn or we want to point fingers. It's what we want to do. We want to grow and learn how to resolve in the Lord. Amen? And then in Ephesians, or in uh, Revelation, to the church in Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But, that's a big but when you come in here now, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Somehow, the church here has lost their first love for Jesus. And he, the John in Revelation calls them out on it. John can, commends them for doing very well. The good works, patient endurance, cannot bear with those who are evil, standing up for his name. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned, forsaken the love you had at first. Remember, where, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. A good place to do some self-evaluation is in a place like this. When we read a text like this, we, we don't want to look at the church. We want to really look self eternally and see where, am I, where have I fallen? Where have I fell short? What have I abandoned? Have I lost my first love? And how did that take place? Or where is it? It's a call to repent for sure, but also in Peter, it's a call to get it right. Repent and try again. Uh, this, I read a commentary, uh, this expositors had a, a good thought. This responsibility especially involves the problem of self-deception concerning good and evil, the true and false, in situations where they are confused. The evil appears under the cloak of good. The good appears as apparent evil. Christ's verdict sets before each church the true criteria for leading it out of self-deception 
into truth. I think back to 2 Peter 1 where it says, if we do these things, we will never fall. We're always being pursued by the Lord to follow, not to be distracted to lose our way. He wants to keep us on that narrow path. And and so many times in life, as we're going down life, we get these splits or corners in the road. One road goes this way, one goes that way. We have to make a decision. We pray that we would make the right decision. The final word for the church in Ephesus is if you don't change course, I will remove your lampstand. He who has an ear, let him hear. The speaker's command further exposes the problem and offers a way to correct the fault. The imperatives are instructive. Remember, repent, and do. The Ephesians are called to reflect on their earlier works of fervent love like the Sardans, to look at comparison at the present situation, to ponder how far they have fallen from their former devotion and enthusiasm, to humbly repent, totally change before God, and do the former works motivated by love. These imperatives are all part of a single action designed to keep the Ephesians from the judgment of Christ, which would effectively remove them as his representative in the world. Now, I'm not saying that all these churches in our communities that all have closed had their lampstand pulled. But it's quite a picture when you see, like, that first Presbyterian church on the corner up there close its doors for whatever reason that happened. That used to be a thriving, bustling, busy church. Always had a powerful vacation Bible school. That witness is gone from our community. And many, many, many other churches are gone from our community. I really don't, I have no idea the situation in any of those churches except maybe just a glimpse. But here's a call from me that we're experiencing atrophy in our lives. And in in Revelation, he says, I'm going to pull your lampstand if you don't get it right. It's a pretty heavy word. How many churches today stand at the same crossroads? Do we sense the importance of God, of not only honoring his name by our true confession, but also reflecting his life by our loving relationships to each other? This threat of loss of light bearing or witness applies doubtless equally to the other four churches to whom a similar exhortation is to repent is given, and that was Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea. Where do we go from here? I would like to leave you with a positive thought, one that would encourage you to go forth, to go on, not to feel overwhelmed or defeated before we get started. It's pretty easy to feel that way sometimes. As we look into God's Word, the author's Paul, Peter, James, and John all had the first-hand experience with the Savior. They were able to walk with him, talk with him, and learn firsthand that these truths that they wrote down and shared with us work. They're true. We need to dig in. And 1 Peter 3, in the following verses, says, His divine power has granted to us all things 
not just some things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need to rest in that. We need to rest in that. Have peace with that. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, to study to show yourself approved a workman who not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's for each one of us, folks. Hear the word. It is encouraging us to dig into the word, to experience life, to know the truth and the promises that are life-giving. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. What was, and I would say what was written down for us, lest we drift away from it. It's so easy to drift. And I can't imagine that even the seniors here have experienced drift in their life. And somehow you just all of a sudden notice that drift in your life. And what's he call you to do? He calls you to repent, to turn around, and to go, to dig in. So as I read this, I see that it is possible to have spiritual atrophy by not paying close attention to the Lord. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find help in a time of need. This verse says to me that we are going to need help and that he, the Lord, is there to help, to give mercy, to give direction. He told us when he was departing, I need to go so the Holy Spirit can come. Each one of us here that have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, been baptized, made a confession of faith, has the Holy Spirit in your life. Call upon that Spirit to help you make decisions, help you realize that God wants to give you victory. Second Peter 1, 10 through 13, Peter here wraps it up again by way of encouraging them all to be more diligent, to make their calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. You may stumble, folks, but you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. I think he's saying that we will get a glimpse of what life is like in heaven while here on earth. The peace the mercy, the forgiveness, the joy, and the many other words that describe the presence of God in your life and mind. May the Lord bless you as you ponder these thoughts, as you go home, sit down, turn off the television, dig into the Word a little bit. Jesus wants to minister to you. Amen? The Lord's table. You know, this is the, I'll tell you, this is the first time I ever got to administer communion for somebody. I, I was always on ships. Well, we would have communion once in a while, but we'd have a pastor come in or something. But years ago when I was at Bible school, I remember a friend of mine, Sam, he did a communion service. And he really put it on heavy. He went back to the scourging and the cross 
And he was just vividly given this picture of what Jesus went through. And I, th I think it was said this morning uh, by the gentleman that was playing the guitar that so often we come, come to the table not thoughtless. We're thinking about it, but maybe not quite the depth that maybe this gentleman was referring to. So I'm going to go back just a little bit before we partake of the body and blood of Christ. In uh, Luke 22, the Passover with the disciples. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will we have, this, have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found, just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he said, and he said, and he took the bread, and when he gave thanks to it, he broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We can take the bread. I think it's one of my second time using this uh, compact version here. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you in the new covenant of my blood. So we take the cup and remember the, the shed blood of Jesus for our sins. Take and eat, drink. Lord Jesus, it tells us to do this in remembrance of you. And remember your agony in the garden and 
the scourging that you took place and the crucifixion. You gave your body and your blood in the will of the Father to forgive our sins. I just pray that you would uh, burn that into our hearts. Like, much like the, the guys that were on the road to Emmaus, he, he said, didn't it burn within our hearts when he spoke? And sometimes when we hear the word or we come to communion, doesn't it just burn within our hearts that Jesus died for us? He forgives us. He wants to give you life, life everlasting. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time. In your name. Amen.